Right, now we're back on. Um, if you went with us uh, last Sunday, we had a service here at 4pm. It's quite a cool time actually. A bit of a sleep in and uh, it was awesome. But I shared from Psalm 1 verses 1 to 3. And I talked about walking a life of difference. That as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are to walk a life of difference. We are set apart. We're chosen to walk this life of difference. And you know, one of the major factors that empowers us that I shared to walk this life of difference was not only to love God with everything we have, but to love his truth. And as you work your way through verse 1 and verse 2, it talks about this, this man that uh, he doesn't walk in, in the way of sinners and scoffers, but he walks in, the, in this righteous path and he, he delights in, in God's law. He delights in the word. He loves it. And he meditates on it day and night. And he allows God's word to, to form him. And I said that the, the verse 3 was, as people do that, they become pillars of strength. I, I, I mentioned this, this pillar here that holds up, or the pillars that hold up this building, and that's what you and I are to be as followers of Christ. As an individual and as a community, we are to be pillars of truth that support the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus and what Jesus has come to do. And I shared how the church is to go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. We are to be going on a continuous upward rising in our spirits. I shared how physically we're not. Physically I'm getting older, my body is deteriorating. But in my spirit I'm to be going from strength to strength, from glory to glory. And I shared how really you know, we aren't really to live these lives that are up and down. You know, up high one minute, real lows the next. But we have to be going from this ongoing increasing measure. And that's what says the kingdom of God. Those that, that, are, that are violent take hold of it. It's something that, that's active. It's not something that's passive. Our Christianity isn't a passive thing. It's an active thing. Very active. Um, and it's active firstly within us. And I shared how the, we are to be the most blessed people on planet Earth so we can be a blessing. And so often you can hear that and run away and, and, and make a whole theology and a doctrine on that, but we are to be the most blessed people so we can pass the blessing of God on. Why? Because the more blessed we are, the more we reflect Him. And I don't mean you know, just blessed in a financial sense. I mean across the board, that you are alive, that you have this, you know, anyone uh, is thirsty, they come to him and from, from the inside comes a river of living water. The people look at you and, and they're, they're astounded by the God in you. They can't quite figure you out because you are different from everyone else they've seen because you walk this life of difference. And it's a choice, as, as Nairi said, it's a, it's a choice. I, I love that song, Rain Down. It says, you know what, my heart might be dry, but I'm still singing. It's not to be based on feelings. God given us feelings? Absolutely. But we're not to base our, our, our relationship with him on feelings. You know what, I might be not feeling that great today. I may be feeling a bit distant from him and my relationship with him today. But you know what, I'm going to choose... I'm going to choose to sing. I'm going to choose to praise his name. I'm going to trump my will and allow the spirit in me to flick that on its head. But um, here's the thing. If we're going to walk this life of difference as disciples of Jesus Christ and come into the fullness of what he has for us, 
now and in the future. Because there is a fullness, there is a measure that he wants us to come into. It's not just, you know, I've acknowledged him as my saviour and stop. That's the start of us entering into the fullness. If we're going to come into the fullness of that, then we have to understand that there is a battle that rages between two kingdoms. There is a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of darkness. And the one who leads the kingdom of darkness, his sole mission is to make sure you don't become the very person God intends you to become. His sole purpose is to bring lies to you, to deceive you, that you can be the very thing and come into the fullness of what God has for you. That's his sole purpose. That's his number one title on his job description. And Colossians talks about that we were all in the kingdom of darkness, but we've come into the kingdom of light. But we have to understand that there is the spiritual war that goes on and we are part of it. And we have an enemy and he's very deceptive and very crafty, the Bible says, that he was the most craftiest of the the beasts that the Lord created, which is a fascinating thing as well. But he uses deception as his main weapon. And I want to talk about that today. My title is Deception, Am I Under the Influence of It? And you know when you hear the word deception, we can go, ooh, it sounds all a bit like ooky and maybe a bit spooky. And you know, Is that really my wife sitting next to me? Is it somebody else? Am I really who I am? And we can take it to a wrong measure. But we have to talk about this because Jesus does. The Bible talks about do not be deceived. That's his goal in life is to deceive you from living in the fullness of what God has for you now and in the future. Because as we know, and we've talked about this over this period of time, that we only live here for a set length of time, but we live forever. So what does sort of forever look like? And I believe the Bible gives us glimpses of what that looks like. He is the father of lies. Imagine growing up with a father that just continually lied to you. Some people do. How sad is that? You're not this, you're this. You're not that, you're that. You're not a son of the father. No, no, you're an orphan. You're a nobody. That's what he comes to do. He comes to what? Steal, kill and destroy. Have you ever asked yourself what he comes to steal, kill and destroy knowing he can't take your salvation off you? The enemy can't miss what Jesus did. Jesus, it is finished. Testalus die. It's over, done with. So if the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy and he can't mess with that, what's he coming to mess with? Your inheritant future. No, it's you. Listen to these words of Jesus, Matthew 24, 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, he's talking to his disciples, he said, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. You. You see, not everything appears or appears as it seems. Not everything that we look at, not everything that we face actually is true. It can appear as truth, it can look as truth, but actually it's not quite as it appears. I saw this really funny picture uh, on the news um, the other day and it had a picture of four children modelling um, children's clothing. 
and they said that this ad had to be pulled because it was offensive. And I'm looking at going, there's nothing offensive about that. There's just kids laughing. You know, I said, up in there with this great Photoshop with clothes on. And then they, what they did is they put this white light spot just to the side of the child on the far left, and there's this nude man in the picture at the beach. At the beach. So there's obviously some, taking some photos, some guys there in the nude, maybe the nudist is walking along, and he's taking a photo of these kids, and it's like you could, but you couldn't see him. With the, we couldn't see him until they highlighted it. You see, not everything is as it appears to our human sight. I couldn't see that until it was highlighted. And that's what God does, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, we think, you know, let me say this, if you think you've got your theology all nailed down in a box and you know it all, you're probably deceived. The power of deception is you don't know you're deceived. That's why it's so powerful, because you, you actually genuinely think you're not. See, the Pharisees didn't think they were deceived. They genuinely thought they were doing the right thing. And that can be quite scary. And so this is deception. Am I under the influence of it? So come with me to Genesis 2. I'm going to read reasonably quickly. Genesis 2, verses 15 to 16. And then we're going to jump across to Genesis 3. So Genesis 2:15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Okay, so this is God talking to Adam, and God commands the man. Now jump across to chapter 3, number 1, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said this, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 8. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. 
The serpent deceived me and so I partook of something that she wasn't supposed to. What is deception? The Oxford Dictionary says this. It's something that deceives people easily mistaken for something else. You see, our enemy's plan, if he can get you one degree off, half a degree off, truth, absolute truth. Pilate asked Jesus, what was truth? What is truth? It's not as wide as the Grand Canyon, it's as subtle, it's as close. And if he can get you and I a degree off, then we end 40 degrees off. We go down pathways, we miss things, we don't come into things, we don't become the people he's called us to become as an individual and as a community because he is feeding lies to us. Why? That we would never receive the fullness now and in the future. And this is happening right now in the church. Right now in the church. See, Jesus is the plumb line, isn't he? If you want to ask what truth is, look at the Christ. And it fascinates me in this passage how Eve slightly adds to what God said. Did you pick up on that when I read it? God never said if you touch it, you'll die. But she adds to it. Why? Maybe because she heard it secondhand from Adam. You see, God came to Adam, the enemy came to Eve. He's crafty. And now Eve starts to add some things to what God actually said. And I reckon Emily's like, I've got you. It's only just a gap. And he's in. Now listen to this. The enemy doesn't say to Eve, she will be God. But she says, sorry, he says that she will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, I believe the enemy knows that Eve would never buy into the lie that she was going to be God. So he says, but you can be like God. Ooh, really? Yeah. And you're not going to die if you eat this thing. Even if you touch it, you're not going to die. But you could be like God. You see, if he could sell her on the fact that she could be like God, knowing as he does, then he would have accomplished his task. And as we know, he was successful. And we bear the fruit of that decision all those years ago. Our enemy knew if he could deceive Eve into thinking she could be like God, knowing good and evil, then this would cause separation between man and God And before long, man would be determining what right and wrong is. And then eventually we wouldn't need or want God. And unfortunately, we see a whole world living in this reality because of this deception. You see, God didn't want them to partake of that fruit because he knew we couldn't handle the result of that, could he? We all want to be God. I don't know whether you realise it or not, but you actually want to be God. You want to be in control of your own destiny, your own life. You want to make decisions and you 
We, 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 let's just say I. <coughs> Sorry. I want to be in control of my own destiny, my will, my thinking. I want to set me up as the number one priority in, in my heart. And then I'll align all those things that I think are important. And we've shared about this, that the church isn't to have the bride of Christ. There is no idolatry to be in the church. What's idolatry is anything you're putting before him. It's not a wooden statue. It's anything. It's a wife, it's a husband, it's a child, it's a career, it's money. And so the enemy comes, see, he knows. And God knows and said, don't partake of that. You can't handle what's going to happen if this happens. See, his ultimate wisdom against ours. But he goes, no, and the enemy is in there, working away. You can't, you'll be like him. It's so subtle. So the one point that I want to drive home today is our enemy's main purpose is to deceive us from receiving our ultimate inheritance. Now, as I've said, he can't rob God, as we know, put a plan in place. He sent his son to bring us back to him. And if you're with us today and you have never heard this story, you'll have an opportunity at the end to make a decision to allow this person called Jesus Christ into your world to get right with God, to get reconciled back to him. And as I've said, the enemy can't take that away, but he can rob us from the church's inheritance and what the fullness of what is in this life-transforming book. And I want to show us a clip from the movie Braveheart. I love this movie. I must have seen it about 15 times, although in English and English get their butts kicked. Um, it's an awesome movie, but there's a, there's a clip in this movie and it's two characters, William Wallace and Robert the Bruce. And Robert the Bruce is a, is a Scottish, he's Scots, and he's a, a sort of a king in the land and he has a lot of influence over the clans. And William Wallace comes to him and says, would you unite with me that we would take on the English? He says, I need you. I need your power. I need you as a leader. The men of Scotland will follow you. And he agrees to fight with William Wallace. But let's just have a look at the clip and see what happens.
I mean, man of a look could say a thousand words. Just what's happened? The deception that you said you were with me, we swore a pact. But you're not. You're fighting for the enemy. That's how, you know, as we come into greater understanding, a greater peeling back of what God has for us and we see what can be happening. I know when I came into this relationship with Christ, and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 that there is a scale that the enemy has placed over my eyes. The prince of this world has placed a scale and I can't see Christ, the glory of Christ. But when I came into that revelation, when I came in 13 years ago, seeing him, not only was it the most incredible day of my life, but I saw what I'd been robbed from and deceived from from the day I was born. And it reminds me of the look on Mel Gibson's face. So I have a question, I have a number of questions for us this morning in relation to the enemy in this whole area of deception. Have you ever asked yourself why the enemy wants to deceive Eve into partaking of this fruit? You've asked yourself why. Well, you just read it and just accept, oh yeah, that's what happened. But what's the motivation of his heart? What's the motivation of Lucifer to try and steal or to rob? What's behind the why? What had Eve ever done to him? What did Adam and Eve ever do to Lucifer? Why is he intentionally leading her to fall? Why does the enemy go before the throne room of heaven accusing you and I? Here's some other questions on the other side of the fence. Why does God, why does a loving God even allow the enemy to be there? You've asked yourself that question. If God is this loving God that we think then why does he allow the enemy to be there? He allows it because he is a loving God. Our love, may, our understanding of love may be skewed from a human perspective. But the greater we come to understand God, we understand his love, the facets of his love, the enemy is there because God loves us. What is God's purpose for the enemy? Have you ever asked yourself some of these questions? So I believe contained in the pages of this life-transforming book is the most incredible love story known to mankind. It's a story about choices. A story that was conceived in the heart of God before the creation of the foundations of the world and it's a story that our unrenewed human minds struggle to understand and comprehend but our spirit and renewed minds can. Man can't conceive what God has in store for those who love him. Now, eye has seen, ear has heard, mind has conceived. You see, I'm a, my thinking was so limited, guys. My thinking about Christianity was so limited. 
And it took a process of God revealing some things through this word that we are all to come into. It's not like I've been to some special mountain and came down. Just spend time in his presence. Seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Ask some of these questions. Ask the spirit of God and see if he responds because he promises to respond. It's a story of our ultimate destination inheritance, but it's a story our enemy wants to deceive us from ever receiving. As we have been discussing over the last 16 months, the depth of God's truth is incredible. Conceived in the pages of this book is absolute truth for us and our ultimate inheritance. Come with me to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. I love the title in, in my book. It says, beginning of 3, says, The Goal of Life. And Paul goes through and he talks about basically him before he came to Christ in the first few um, verses. You know, I'm a Benjamin of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a persecutor of the church. And then sort of verse 7 onwards he talks about, but you know what, compared to receiving Christ, all that was just a load of garbage. I've had my eyes open. I've realised I've been deceived and my eyes are now open. He said, man, there's, there's nothing worth more than living for Christ full on. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you want to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings? He did being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Then he says these powerful words in verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. So he says all this, which is Christ dying for him on the cross, transformation, I'm this new spirit-filled man and I'm moving forward. He says, you know what? I want to know the power, the resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And he says, not that I've already obtained all that, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I press on to something greater. I press forward. I'm going forward. I'm not up, down, up. I'm going forward after this thing. I can see it. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Man, there's power in those words there, isn't there? Forgetting what lies behind, forgetting my past, that I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a scholar in this, and I persecuted the church. Forgetting all that, all the stuff that wants to hold me back, that the enemy tries to regurgitate up. Some of us today need to forget and let go of your past. It's dealt with. From God's perspective, you're the only one hanging on to it. He's not. Can I say that again? He is not. You're actually beating yourself up. You are. He's not. Guilt is not of him. It's of the enemy. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on towards my marriage in heaven. 
I press on to becoming the bride of Christ. This prize. Our salvation, what he did on the cross, is a gift. You do not earn gifts, they are given. But you earn a prize. I haven't yet already obtained the prize. I've obtained the gift. And I'm moving forward, being transformed glory to glory into something far greater. And the enemy comes to rob that. Now he can't, but he can. Does that make any sort of sense? We have the authority. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have God's power in His Word, power in His Spirit. But are we in His Word? Are we in the Spirit? Or are we just in the flesh? Are we just existing through life? But God wants us going from glory to glory. There is an inheritance that He's after. I found, this is my testimony, I found over the last two years, the deeper or more intimate I have become with God, the more He has revealed. And this revelation is changing me. I'm saying things I never would have said before. I remember when Danielle and I got married and for our honeymoon we went to the Great Barrier Reef. And it was an awesome time. It was really hot. and I'd never been um, scuba diving before and there was an opportunity to go scuba diving. And the people that had their, their tickets, you know, with the, with the tanks, they went off the reef and we were allowed to go 15 metres of depth. And you get a crash course. And I remember getting this manual that says, you know, if you do this, do this, your lungs can explode and you'll die. And I was like, ah, oh. oh well, you know, here we go. Be a bit of fun anyway. And um, anyway, you know, we're sort of on the, on the surface, on the top of the boat, you're looking down and you can sort of see the coral and you can see the fish. And it's just incredible, the colours and the design and all that sort of stuff. But you know what? When you get in the water and you go down, when you go deeper, the fish, the colours, the coral, it's incredible. It's like another planet. From this level of depth I could see some things and it was pretty, but as I went deeper into the water and I'm looking at this fish and it's looking at me and I go to, it, it's probably only about Nemo size, but it looked about this big, you know, and you go to touch it and it just was just out of reach. It didn't take off, it just went out of reach. You see, the deeper we go with the Father, the more intimate we go with Him, the more He reveals, the more you see. Not here, here. The more you come into the fullness of what is in here. What's Paul talking about? I haven't yet already obtained it. The guy was, if there was one person that was saved, justified, it was Paul. So he's looking at this prize, he's going after something bigger. I want to encourage us this year to go deeper. But here's the thing. We must realise as we move into a deeper understanding of God's truth as individuals and a community, the greater the cost and the opposition that is there, but the greater the freedom. The greater the freedom. You want to be free? Do you want to be more freer this year? Don't be anxious about stuff, worrying about stuff. Joy, peace that lives there 24-7. That's where God wants us all. But the enemy doesn't. 
I remember Tark Barna saying this when he was here. He said, different levels in God have different devils. Put another way, I put like this, the deeper you go with God, the more intense the battle becomes. See, the more truth God starts to show you of what he's invited us to, because he's after our inheritance, the enemy, and you start to become a voice for that, you start to articulate that, you're just in another level of opposition now, another level of persecution. You're in a war, and one person wants to win the war. He's passionate about taking you out. We have to be aware, this, this is happening, this is this... this Enemy comes to lie, he comes to deceive us. He comes to rob us of what God wants for us. It's for you and me. Why is this the case? Why is this the case that the deeper you go with God, the more intense the battle? Because the deeper we go with God, the more we see our ultimate inheritance, which is what our enemy is trying to rob us from. Whenever God reveals a greater depth of truth to a person or through a person, This can be met by a strong opposition. One of the forms it comes with is a thing called a pharisaical spirit. You say, Greg, this is a bit heavy for the 8th of January in 2012. Bring it on. I thought it was a bit heavy, but God just keeps saying, it's this, son, it's this. So, listen what a pharisaical spirit is. It's a blind spirit that sets itself up in opposition to truth because it is blind and it will genuinely stand and defend its position and its purpose and sorry it's defend its position and its purpose is to keep the church living in blindness Matthew 23:16 says this woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple that is nothing But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? John 5 verse 39. He's talking to these these men again, these religious men. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Have you ever just stopped and said, you know, like, you read and you go, okay? How do you diligently study the scriptures and when the one that you're studying about turns up and stands in front of you, you end up nailing him to a cross? Because there is a blindness. And the church is to be going from glory to glory, coming into greater depths of understanding together. We tend to see Pharisees as a bunch of religious people who wore funny clothing, who adhered to rules and traditions, and who were responsible for the death of Jesus. And we would never associate ourselves with them, but here's the thing that we must realise, and I've come to realise, is the same spirit can operate in the church today. This was in me. A sense of blindness. Until, and I've shared this with you, someone came into my world and presented a paradigm that wasn't quite my paradigm. I was blinded to the paradigm. 
And I entered into a journey with this man and we walked together a period of 12 months seeking the Spirit of God together, challenging, looking at the Scriptures, asking questions, seeking God with everything I had. And one day God peeled back a layer and everything he was talking about made sense. It's active, not passive. Our faith is to be going from glory to glory, strength to strength. God is looking for a bride. He's preparing a people that he wants to marry. There's a difference between being Christian and being a disciple. I mentioned this last week. The word Christian, I think, is mentioned under five times in the Bible. The word disciple, 252 times. If you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. The power of deception is that the individual or group of people being influenced by deception don't even know it's happening. They genuinely don't know they are being deceived. See, the Pharisees, they genuinely thought they were true, didn't they? They genuinely believed. They didn't intentionally go out and go, you know what, we we know we're wrong, but we're going to act like this. No. They were looking for the Messiah. They didn't want to miss the Messiah. They love God. But yet when God turns up on planet Earth, I think that's scary. For all their best intentions, they were loving God, but Jesus calls them blind guides, and blind guides lead themselves and others into empty pits. What's the main point? Our enemy's main purpose is to deceive us from receiving our ultimate inheritance. Ephesians 6 teaches us that our battle isn't with flesh and blood, but it's with powers and principalities of another kingdom. But people can be used by this other kingdom without ever knowing it. That's what I think is quite alarming is that we can actually be used, because of our blindness, to influence. It's why we've got to walk together. It's why God has burdened my heart this year, walking together. It's always been there. It's starting now to come more out. Loving Him. Sorry, knowing Him. Loving others. Walking together. It's together that we must do this. Why? Because if you're on your own, you're picked off. We don't have all the answers. Not one single person has the answer, do they? But together, with the giftings together and the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we journey. That's why Jesus patterned it. Guys, if you're not in discipleship, can I urge you? I wish I could mandate it. Can I urge you to pattern what Jesus patterned? Get around some people that you connect with and start doing this together because there is gold. There is gold that God wants to reveal to you through a process. Riches that the enemy is trying to block. And I shared this, but it's interesting how God comes to Adam, Satan comes to Eve. Why does he do this? Because he's looking for a crack, an opening in which he can deceive them both and turn them away from God. 
and he sees Eve as his opportunity to do this. Main point again, our enemy's main purpose is to deceive us from receiving our ultimate inheritance. And next week I'm going to talk about how he does this because 2 Corinthians 11.4 talks about Paul's talking and he says, you know, I've betrothed you to one husband. He says, but I'm afraid that you have been deceived as Eve was in the garden through the craftiness and it's here. Warren liked it. Battlefield is the mind. Our thinking, God's thinking. Will I die to me and my thinking? And will I allow the truth to determine the way I think, the way I live, the choices that I make? That's where the battle lies. He'll come, he'll try and feed your head with lies. You're not this, you're not that, this is who you are, this is who you're not. And if you don't know how to fight, if you don't know this word, you may as well be in that battle that we just watched without any armour and say to the English, just kill me. Stand there and wait for it to happen. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is an active thing, following him. Where are we going? We're going to the ultimate end. He is our inheritance, the Father, being in the most intimate relationship with him in eternity and a thing called a marriage. And we've talked about that. You're going to hear more about that. You may be sick of that. <laughs> it's not automatic. It's for those that are prepared to walk it and allow the transformation because that's the goal of our faith, spiritual transformation into the image of the one we follow.